back in uh, 1987, Kathy and myself, uh, she was actually pregnant with our first child, 1987, moved to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma to pastor my first church. And uh, we spent eight years there, had a uh, wonderful experience. Some of our best friends are still down there. Then I was called to uh, go to Cincinnati, Ohio to lead an international ministry there. And then we moved back to Fort Collins in January of 1999. And uh, we bought a house down in South Fort Collins. That's where we thought we wanted to be. And just thinking long-term about where our kids would go to school and where we would live. So we did that, and then after a few years, for a variety of reasons, we uh, decided we were going to move north, North Fort Collins. And uh, so uh, we were preparing to sell our house. Now, uh, as most people do when you buy a house, we had it inspected, uh, the first house we had in Fort Collins here before we moved back, or as we moved back. And the inspection came out fine, and so we were grateful for that. You want to buy a house that you, know, you believe is in good shape. Well, then when we decided to move north, and, uh, and we had it on the market, and somebody came and wanted to buy that home, and they had an inspection done. And what they discovered is that the foundation had been done improperly and very poorly. And uh, we said, well, we had it inspected, too, uh, but uh, our guy missed it, and it cost us uh, quite a bit of money, quite a bit of time. We lost the sale on that house because the foundation was done improperly and poorly. And how many of you know that if you have a, a foundation that's not done very well, it can lead to all kinds of problems? And so we had to pay to bring everything up to code. In our faith, are, is the foundation up to code? If someone were to come in and to investigate the foundation or foundations of your faith, would they say it's been done right, it's been done properly, or would they say, oh, we've got a problem here, we need to bring it up to code? Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Thank you that you have a plan for us to encourage us, that we would grow, that we'd make the most of our earthly journey, and that when we come to the end of our days, we won't uh, have lived in vanity or regret. But when we see you, we will hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, as we enter into this New study of the book of Ephesians. I ask that you would bless us. So help us now to uh, investigate and evaluate and grow in the foundations of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Is your Christian life built upon a good, solid, and strong foundation? Think about it for a moment. You're going to have to think this morning. Is your Christian faith built on a good, strong, and solid foundation? And only you could probably answer that. And I would assume that maybe nobody's ever asked you that. Has anybody come up to you and said, Hey, is your Christian life built on a good, solid, strong foundation? The reality is if our foundation is not good and strong and solid and, if you will, up to code, it leaves us in a very vulnerable place. 
it's very, very important, imperative that we have a good, strong foundation of our faith. Solid foundations are key in the building of anything that's to succeed and to last. Again, improper foundations lead to all kinds of problems. That's not only in a house or a building or in a family, but it's also true in our faith. And so once in a while we may need to slow down and inspect and evaluate the foundations of our faith. Well, whoever built that house that we bought down in South Fort Collins is they didn't do it right. They cut corners. They should have uh, brought it up to code. And then the people who were inspecting it missed it also until down the road we had to pay the price for someone not building a good foundation. And that can happen in our faith as well. It's our personal responsibility and opportunity to make sure the foundations of our faith are strong. I shared with you as we began 2016 that I had prayed and sought the Lord and asked Him what His heart, what His desire, what His will, what His mandate was for us as a church in 2016. Anybody remember what that was? Grow and go. Grow and go. You know what? That's fairly simplistic, and yet it's fairly complex at the same time. The reality is, if you come to Connection Church, I think God says, hey, I want you to grow. I thought I heard an amen. It's somewhere in here. And as we grow, we still have to go. But we need to grow. How many of you have arrived in your Christian faith? Not. We never will. We're always growing, and so this is a time for us to grow as well. So what we're going to do over the next six months is we're going to study or investigate or look at the important biblical book of Ephesians. How many of you have ever read Ephesians? I don't know, right, huh? So what you can do is you can prepare. I will give you an idea of some of the passages, but I want you to just start reading the book of Ephesians. Some of you haven't been reading your Bible, or you don't know where to read in your Bible, or you say, well, I don't get anything out of it. I want to encourage you. This can be a new start. Today can be a new start in your life, in your journey, in your faith, in your growth. Pick up the Bible. If you've got a Bible, go to the book of Ephesians. If you don't know where that is, look at the index, or if you have Bible tabs, go there. And just simply say, God, I, I want to learn. I want to, I want to be fresh in my understanding. I want to grow by reading the book of Ephesians this year. So we're going to spend six months looking at the entire book. Many of you know that over the period of time, I'll, I'll do a, a series or, or a variety of topics. We did go through the book of Philippians. And it's just that time again that I felt like the Lord really wanted us to grow by looking at the book of Ephesians. So that's what we're going to do. Over the next six months, let's do a quick little overview of the book of Ephesians. The author was the great Apostle Paul. And again, if you don't know much about him, I encourage you to get in your Bible and study about that. Get out a a Bible dictionary. Whatever you need to do, again, get on the Internet and grow and learn. It was written about 60 or 64 A.D., Uh, the Apostle Paul was in prison. How many of you know if you're in prison, you probably have a lot of time to think? And a lot of time to focus. And a lot of time to write. 
And that's what he did. He had had a call on his life. He thought back, I'm sure, about his journey and what he had experienced and what God had called him to do. And so he wrote many of his letters or his epistles in prison. And he did uh, the same with the book of Ephesians. It was addressed to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very popular and important trade city. And so it wasn't kind of one of these uh, cities that didn't have a lot of significance and importance. It was very pre- uh, predominant and important city of that day. So he's going right to the heart of uh, where he feels like his message needs to be heard. Uh, the purpose was to explain to believers their position in Christ and to encourage them to live accordingly. The book of Ephesians basically is to explain and to encourage most people, if you've been to Bible college or seminary or even you've just been in some kind of formal Bible study, if you were to go to any book in the New Testament to really gain good theology, good understanding about God and yourself, the two main books would be the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians. So you'll see this is a very significant book to understand and to study and to grow with. So, first of all, the book is written to explain. So, how many of you know everything you need to know about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith? Nobody? So, that we're probably in good territory. So, if there can be some more explanation of God and the church and faith, you're open to that? That's what this was for. And the book was also to encourage. How many of you have ever needed encouragement in your Christian life? Ever got down, discouraged, hijacked? whatever it might be, so you need to bring, Paul knew we needed encouragement. So I just want you to know over the next six months as we study the book of uh, Ephesians, the purpose is to help explain a little more about our faith and encourage us in our faith, and I think that's an okay thing. So if you have your Bible, uh, I want to invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, I encourage you, next Sunday and for uh, other Sundays, bring your Bible. I know we put it on the PowerPoint, but uh, it's important for you to know the Word. You have it in your hand. You can see it in your Bible. Because you know what? When we stand before God on that day, He's not going to open my Bible and talk to you about my Bible. He's going to open your Bible with you and talk to you about your Bible. Now, uh, I once heard that it was a sin to write in your Bible. I'm in big, big trouble. And I, I want to say this again, and I think you know that, those of you who have been with me, I do not read my Bible because I'm a preacher. I do not read my Bible because I'm a pastor. I do not read my Bible because I have to study to prepare for Sunday morning, even though all of those are true. I read my Bible because I have a relationship with God Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what feeds my spirit. That challenges me, encourages me, enlightens me, it reminds me, it sobers me. And, you know, you hear preachers all the time, you know, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I won't be like that, so I'm just going to tell you to read your Bible. I'm not going to be like all those other preachers that tell you that. So just read your Bible. How many excuses do we have for not reading our Bible? Oh, my goodness, we got a whole list of them. I do, too. So anyway, I encourage you, bring your Bible, get into your Bible, and we're going to be looking the next six months at the book of Ephesians. And I believe if your heart is open and you're willing, you come and you pray, say, Lord, I want you to teach me. 
I want to learn more. I want to grow in the foundations of my faith. He'll take you up on that offer. I guarantee you, whether I preach good or not, whether anything else happens, if your heart is open and available, he'll meet you there. Isn't that great? That's the kind of God we have. So Ephesians, today we're going to look at uh, verses 1 and 2. Man, we have a lot to go over today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were the preacher and you were to come up here and you were to prepare a message, in those two verses, what would you see? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to think about it. Look at it. What, what, what would your message look like? What points would you highlight? What truths would you pull out? Because sometimes you realize, uh, I can only do that by praying, saying, Lord, here I am, here's your word. And I don't want you to think that uh, I'm the only one that's supposed to learn those things. I think it's important for you to go, what if you were the preacher? What if you were the pastor? What if it was your responsibility this Sunday morning to look at those two verses and come and share with the people the heart of God, the word of God? What would you see? Take a look at it for just a second. I'm going to read it one more time with that in mind. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've seen, I know you guys will see your own thing, I see five particular takeaways or truths or principles that I think we can highlight that are important to each and every one of us. And guess what? They all start with the letter P. Can you believe that? There's just something about me being able to find out a word and use a, uh, a letter. And the reason I do it, and those of you who have been under my ministry or follow my ministry a long time, is because sometimes that helps us remember. Well, I can't remember what he said, but I know it started with the letter P. And then pretty soon after that, you can kind of usually try to find them. And again, as we go through uh, uh, Ephesians, I, I hope that you'll take some of the notes and the bulletins, and go home and look at it. You know, you'll grow depending on how much you do after Sunday morning. If you just come listen on Sunday morning and it's never any more work or focus or implementation, it'll come and go, won't it? So I really want to encourage you to do that. We really want to be faithful to God this year with his mandate for us to grow. So I see five different things in these two verses that I think are encouraging and the takeaways for us. First of all, I see what I'm going to call the word position, position. Notice how Paul starts out this letter, an apostle, Paul, an apostle. Paul was very clear on his role, his responsibility, and his position. How many of you know that whether it be in the faith or in the church or in your job or in your family or being a part of any kind of a team, it's very important you know what position you play. It's important to know your position. Could you imagine a football team going out onto the field, ready to compete, going against their opponent, and everybody is not clear on what their position is? 
Do you think they'd win the game? They'd look like a crazy bunch of fanatics. Everybody, oh, I want to be quarterback. No, I want to be the receiver. No, I want to be the linebacker. No, I want to be the safety. And you could use that sports analogy and this and all that. But you know what? That happens oftentimes in the church. When people look on and we don't know what our position is, and, well, I would rather do that, and I like to do that, and I should be that, and he should be that, and she should do that. If we don't know our position in the faith or in the church, we almost radiate confusion. And it's not really fun to watch, and we're really not all that effective. It's very important if you are a Christian that you know what your role, your responsibility, and your position is in the faith, in the body of Christ, and being a part of a local church. You know, what, what if just the quarterback played the game? Would he win? I don't care how good a quarterback he is, if he doesn't have a team that's around him, and they all know their position, and you know what, this, this role is not the most important role in the church. You know, so oftentimes in the American Western culture, well, it's the preacher. It's all about the preacher, how good he preaches, how good he leads, and uh, all the other things. You know what? That's not the most important thing. It's an important fact. I need to know what my position is. But probably what's more important is you know what your position is. Your position in the church, in the faith, in this church. And if you don't, we don't really... Uh, create the effectiveness that God has provided us, and we kind of look confused to a lost and a broken world. Paul, right off, when he starts this letter, he says, I know what position I play. And by the grace of God, I know what position I play in the body of Christ and in this church. And my question is, do you know what position you play? I've asked that question of many over the years, and it's amazing how many People don't know. That's not really to blame you because it's my role as the pastor to help you grow in that. But it's still your opportunity and responsibility to figure it out. Now, if you need my help or Nick's help or leader's help, then let's do that. But my question is, do you know what position you play? It's very important, imperative. When we look at the foundations of our faith, we need to know what position we are called to play in the body of Christ and in the local church. The second thing is purpose. I see purpose. I say not only position, but purpose. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Now listen, by the will of God. Don't you see purpose there? By the will of God. Paul's revealing something very important. And here's what it is. You don't get to pick what position you get to play. Did you know that? When God hijacked me, that's how I describe that, I was on my own course, my own path, had my own desires for my life and my future, and then God showed up, Jesus revealed himself, handpicked me and says, I have a specific uh, position for you to play. And I've got a, a purpose for you in mind. You know what? I didn't get to choose that. I didn't get to say, okay, well, I want to be this. You know, I was for sure I was going to be the next Billy Graham. I was sure. Gift, looks, ability, all that good stuff. And I found after a couple of days, I am no Billy Graham. <laughs> I had to be who I am for God's purpose 
for my life. So the reality is God has a specific purpose for you too. You don't get to choose. If you will, God gets to be God. He gets to be the boss, so to speak. He's the leader and he's the coach. And so the point being is you need to find out, I need to find out, we all need to know what our position is, which is based on God's purpose. Paul says, I'm an apostle. That's the position that I play, not because I want to be an apostle, but because that's God's purpose for my life. I know this all sounds fairly probably basic and elementary, but isn't that what foundations are? When you go look at a house being built or a building being built and you look at the foundation, it's really not all that fancy. But it needs to be laid uh, appropriately up to code and then you can build on it. And I'm just concerned, especially here in Western culture, Western uh, uh, civilization, that sometimes even the best-hearted Christian doesn't know the basics, the foundations. They don't know what position they play. They don't know the purpose God has for their life. And that's so vitally important. And I can't do you a service, and I can't honor God if I don't encourage you and help you and challenge you to know your position and God's purpose for your life. Paul said he was an apostle by the will of God, position and purpose. Third, the word pardon. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. How many of you are sinners? Raise your hand. How many of you are saints? Raise your hand. And how many of you are really confused? And how many of you know I just set you up? (laughs) And how many of you know when you didn't reply, that revealed to me you didn't want to get set up? (laughs) So I want to answer that question right now. Because there is confusion. There is so much confusion. Why didn't Paul say... um, To my fellow Christians, to co-laborers with me in Christ, to my partners in ministry. I think he was very strategic because he was saying to the born-again Christian in Ephesus, you are a saint. Now, I've set you up before, so some of you have been around, you probably had to answer, and, and now you've forgotten. If you are a Christian, listen to me, you are not a sinner. Oh, that blew some people away, didn't it? This is not a little insignificant discussion about words. It's understanding the truth of who we are. The Bible says before we give our hearts to Christ and we're justified, made new by the blood of Christ, we have a sin nature before Christ. Doesn't matter who you are. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you were born that way, and I'm sorry, yes, little babies have a sin nature. That'll probably get me in trouble, won't it? They do. There's not one person. How many of you have to teach your kids to be bad? Did it just come natural? Yes. If you know and read the Bible and the story of theology, we were all born sinners with a sin nature. We could not not sin. But when you become born again, you ask Christ into your heart. The Bible calls it, we'll talk about it later in our study of Ephesus. You've been justified. You've been made right. Before you were a prisoner 
of your sin nature. You could not not sin. But when you gave your heart to Christ, you have been pardoned. If somebody is in prison and then they are pardoned, what does that mean? They get to go free. They don't have to pay that price anymore, that penalty. If you are a born-again Christian, you are no longer a sinner. Your nature, spirit nature, is a saint. That doesn't mean you don't sin, but you now have a choice not to sin. Before Christ, you didn't have a choice not to sin, but you've been pardoned by your relationship with Jesus Christ, and now he sees you as a saint. Now, we sin, but we don't have to. We're not prisoners of that. Go look at your Bible and study it and see if God, if there's any place where a born-again Christian is called a sinner. They're not. Throughout the entire epistles, you'll see they're called saints. And you need to understand that because if you keep calling yourself a sinner, guess what? You're probably going to add to your sin. When you realize you're a saint, then you can say, guess what? I don't have to sin. You may choose to sin, but you don't have to sin. You know, we, we've got this whole idea of sainthood from, from uh, forgive me, but from the Catholic Church. And so what happens when somebody dies and they were holy and virtu- uh, had uh, virtuous, then we said they're a saint. But that's out of human organization. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you are a born-again Christian, you've repented of uh, your sins and your sin nature, you've asked Christ in, you've been justified, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint because you've been pardoned. So it's not just a discussion about words. So the next time I ask you, how many of you are sinners? I think you need to rethink that. If I ask you if you're a saint, well, I don't feel like a saint. Well, how many of us ever feel like a saint? But it doesn't matter what our feelings are. It's what's true. You've been pardoned by your faith. You are no longer a prisoner to your sin nature. So how many of you are saints? Thank you. That's important. If you're going to know your identity in Christ and live a successful and proper Christian life, we've got to change our language because our language is incorrect. If you're a Christian, you are not a sinner. You are a saint. Now, you may choose to sin, but you're still not a sinner. Isn't that good news? Put your hands together. Aren't you glad that you're not a sinner? I'm glad I'm not in prison to sin anymore. Doesn't mean I don't mess up. So we have the word pardon. Four, we have the word practical. You see it there? To the saints who are in Christ Jesus, or the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful. Notice that word faithful. The practical working out of our faith and our obedience to Jesus Christ should be seen in our faithfulness, our faithfulness to him and our faithfulness to other people. That's where it gets practical. If we, if we stay in the area of theology or tradition or religiosity, but we never become faithful to Jesus, faithful to others, faithful to his people, we'll never really be living out our faith in an appropriate, practical way. So I would like to invite you, as well as myself, is to evaluate how faithful are you 
to Jesus. Gosh, we can roll in and out of church all the time and never be challenged or asked that question. And, you know, this week I saw some areas where I got have gotten really lazy and just kind of a little misguided. And there's some things I know he wants me to do or not do. And in love and this encouragement, he revealed to me, you're not being faithful. And, you know, if it happens to me, I'll throw it out there, whether that's appropriate for you or not. Are there some things that you're doing that reveal you're not being faithful to your faith, faithful to Jesus? Are there some things that you're not doing that you know and aren't the best? And are there some things that he wants you to do and you know it, you know it. You, you just kind of hear him keep knocking at the door because he loves you. It's time. I want you to do this. I want you to get after this. I want this to be a part of your life. I want you to prioritize this. I want you to focus on this. So the point in the foundations of our faith is, are we living it out in practical terms? Are we being faithful to him? And are we being faithful to one another? And you know me, I'm going to challenge it. It's not my responsibility only to care for all of you. That is a job that I have, but you have a job to care for each other. God forbid. You've got to do something more than just sit here on Sunday morning for an hour. It's our opportunity right now to be praying for Ruth Dominguez, who just had a four and a half hour back surgery. And Bill and Devine praying for them as uh, Ruth comes home. You see what I'm saying? Again, because I love you enough to say if the foundation of your faith is strong, you have to be caring for one another, too. That's being faithful. Praying and following up uh, David. Right, Sherry? Thank you. My friend David Dumler. I don't know. Some of you know David. Some of you don't. David's 57. He's probably got about a week to live. So we're following him up and loving on him and ministering to his family and praying. So I'm going to keep encouraging you. We want to be faithful to Jesus. And part of the way we're faithful to Jesus is faithful to each other, right? We're a family of faith. So the last word, uh, and then I'm going to have DJ go ahead and come back up, is the word power. I see power in these verses. Do you see that? Grace to you and peace. I love that. Gosh, that just has a really good ring to me. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. You want to know the power of faith? It's grace and peace. It's God's grace and God's peace. To live and experience the best of life. It's grace and it's peace. Have you encountered God's grace recently in any way? Have you experienced God's peace in any way recently? I think it's our opportunity as Christians and as a church family. We need to really step up our prayers that God would pour out His grace and His peace on all of us. Because it's His grace and His peace that leads to power. Anybody lacking faith? I mean, lacking power in their faith? I raise my hand. There's times where, gosh, I just, where's the power? I'm going through the, the uh, ritual. I'm going through all the motions. I, I know I love the Lord. I know He loves me. I have responsibility trying to do all of that. But gosh, where's the power? And when I sense I'm losing power or lacking the power, 
man, the thing I need to encounter and tap into and pray for is God's grace and His peace. You know what I was praying for all of you this week? Pleading with God, praying earnestly, praying with passion. God, touch them with your grace. Touch them with your peace. Increase grace in their life. Increase grace in their marriage if they're married. Increase, increase grace in their family. Increase grace in their health. Increase grace in their finances. Increase grace in their serving. And God, give them peace. Your peace. Not the world's peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I give unto you. The world's peace comes and goes. It's based on circumstances and situations. I love uh, the word that my wife got this year as we all pray for words for each other in our family or for ourselves. And, and the word that my wife got for her was peace. And uh, as you look above our bedroom uh, door, she made these things, the letters in it says peace. So whenever I'm in bed reading or getting ready to start the day, I, I walk and I walk out through peace. When I come in, I get to see peace. Now, I never told her this because she's my wife. She's in the room here today. She's going, gosh, I didn't know that. Well, come to church. You'll find out a lot of, a lot of things. Because I'm sure all you husbands, you tell your wife everything. Not in the pastor's home. we got to keep things secret. <laughs> so my wife beaming back there. Oh, it worked. It worked. It worked. I didn't know that he even noticed. So at least one person is excited about my sermon. My wife. It worked. We need grace. More grace. And more peace in our lives. Man, the, these first two verses are powerful. Again, I asked you what would you have come up with. I'm sure you can look back and preach your own sermon. Write your own message. But for today, as we start this book and look at the foundations of our faith. And we're going to. First of all, we really do need to understand our position in the body of Christ and in the local church. We need to know and believe and trust God has a specific purpose for our life. That we're not sinners, but we've been pardoned so that we're saints. And then we have to live out our faith in practical ways by being faithful. And then last but not least, we need the power of God's grace and the power of God's peace in our life, our relationships, our home, our church. So I'm excited about the uh, study of the book of Ephesians. Next week, we're going to look at verses three through six. So I encourage you, you might read a whole chapter, you might read the whole book, or you might just want to read those verses. But I think the next six months, I'm convinced of this because I believe it's a mandate and and uh, it's the will of God for our church. If you give yourself to six months to this book, when, you, when we get through it, you'll have grown. You'll have investigated your foundation. You'll have evaluated your foundation. And I believe by the grace of God, we'll bring all of our foundations up to code. So we don't pay a price for having an improper or poorly designed foundation of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for your word. We come here to hear your word, to contemplate your word, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged by your word, to let your word shape and form our lives. 
And so thank you for the great book of Ephesians. Thank you for what we're going to discover, investigate, and learn. Thank you, Lord. You're going to look at the foundations. And if they have been improperly set or they're not up to code, you're going to help us get those foundations of our faith up to code so that we can really truly build a successful Christian life upon it. Father, I want to just pray for everybody right now. Lord, every heart in here and every mind knows what they've been through and what they're going through. And maybe nobody else knows. Maybe not even their spouse. Maybe not even a good friend. Maybe not even a family member. You do, and you know the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the things they've been successful in, the things that they've failed in, the things that they're hopeful for, the things that they've lost hope in. And right now, I want to pray for grace. God, Your grace upon every person in here right now. Increase Your grace. Lord, let it rain grace upon their heart, on their mind, on their body, on their relationships, on their finances, on their occupation, on their memories, on their hopes. More grace, God. Great grace. Increased grace in every area of their life, Lord. You are the God who hears and answers prayer. Send them more grace. Anoint them with more grace. Let them adorn themselves with Your grace. Let Your grace lead them to greater power, greater effectiveness, greater joy, greater discipline. Lord, increase grace in every one of their lives. And Lord, we live in a challenging world and we need Your peace. I pray, Father, for an increase of Your peace. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. A peace will keep them from being knocked off track. A peace that will keep them from being detoured. A peace that will settle anxiety and fear and discouragement and depression. A peace that will cause them to be able to trust You for the future. Increase peace right now in their life. So they really can not just sing words, but really say it in their heart. It is well with my soul. Not because of all the situations, but because of Your peace. So Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Increase grace and peace in every life and let that turn into a power to live an exceptional, overcoming Christian life. So thank you, Lord. We are springboarding, launching into this study of the foundations of our faith. Give us grace and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let's all stand. Stand and uh, think about uh, how many of you went to camps when you were a kid? Just a few? Okay. Uh, I got my start playing guitar and all that, leading music for, for camps when I was a kid. And I found this one in my archives, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do this one. <laughs> this is an old classic from the 70s, but I love it.
You know, I believe that all of those five P's are important, but one of them is really important and significant to me. First of all, how many of you are saints? Good job! You caught it! Now we get to live that out. Hey, you know what? I hope you have a tremendous day. It's beautiful outside. I know I'm going to have a wonderful day because my wife is happy now. And uh, so this is just going to be a great Sunday for me. So uh, I hope you have a great Sunday too. God bless you. I love you very much. Bye-bye.